Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. So I remember four years ago, I was back home, and my mom and my dad told me, be praying for Caleb this Sunday, because this Sunday is going to be the first time he's going to be preaching at the Berean Bible Church in Seattle on his internship. And I remember specifically thinking, man, my brother is crazy. He's nuts. Why would he be in a different place? He doesn't know anyone. He's preaching to a congregation, and my parents said he's wearing a suit. He's, he's totally, t- totally nuts. And I just remember saying to myself, there is no way I am ever going to do that. Fast forward four years, I am exactly where he was four years ago on my internship. So God has is, is got a great sense of humor, and never, never say never to him. That's, that's what I'm slowly learning. But my brother also told me something else about six months ago. He said, when you go to Berean, make sure you wear a suit when you preach. And I was like, well, I don't own a suit. It's like, you'll, you'll get one. But the only thing that kept the Berean church from dragging me outside the church and stoning me for my dreadlock hair was that I wore a suit. So he said, so he said wear, wear the suit. Wear the suit. So I don't have the hair, and I'm wearing a suit, so hopefully I'm, I, I'm at a great start this morning. But this morning I want to start with some questions that hopefully will get us all thinking um, and get us all looking at our own lives and where we're going and what we're doing. And the first question is, who are you strengthening in your life currently? Who are you strengthening? And if I were to ask my question that self and someone were to come and evaluate me, what would they see of Cameron Beefus? Would they say, well, Cameron's all about strengthening others, or is Cameron all about strengthening himself? And going off of that question, is the church, the body of Christ, meant to strengthen you, or are you meant to strengthen the church, the body of Christ? And if someone were to come in and evaluate it and look at us, look at our lives, what would they come up with? Would they look at Cameron, and Cameron goes in, and he's all about strengthening himself. He goes in, he's like, well, that worship, man... If that worship didn't hit me, how is that glorifying God? It didn't glorify me. How can it glorify God? Or, wow, that sermon, that, that, little, that young guy up there, man, he did a terrible job. He didn't really impact me at all. Do we come in with a mentality, are we here to be strengthened or are we here to strengthen other people? And what would that look like in our daily walk throughout the entire week and not just Sunday? So those are the two questions, and hopefully by the end of the day we can answer those questions and we can look to go somewhere with those questions and to do something about them. When I was 16 years old, um, I grew up in Costa Rica, so I went to youth group. My parents were missionaries. And in the youth group, I'd go every week, mainly because after youth group ended, there was soccer. I love soccer. So I would go for soccer. But one particular Saturday when we had our youth group, it ended, and a guy named Arturo came up to me and he asked me, uh, the youth pastor, Carlos, has been investing in my life for the last two years, Arturo told me. And he said, I would like to do the same to you. I would like to mentor you, walk alongside you, disciple you, whatever word you want to use. But I would like to walk alongside you and both of us together kind of like see what our lives with Christ look like and pursue Christ more. So he asked me that question and I'm like thinking, yeah, he's an older guy, he's 24 years old, he has his own car. 
No one has their own car. And, and so we start going out, and a few months passed by, and I realized two things. The first was, I wasn't so sure if Arturo decided to disciple me or mentor me because of me or the Holy Spirit led him to me, because he had all of a sudden this incredible interest in my older sister. So... <laughs> I, I like to tell myself it was only because of me, but he may have been a devious man trying to get closer to my sister. He, he could have used me. But the second thing I really realized is that he really did have an incredible impact on my life. The times we spent together and all the money and the gas that he spent picking me up and int- interrogating me, not interrogating me, well, sometimes he did, but bringing me into a group of younger guys was awesome and something that I really needed. But one of the main things he did is about six months after he'd been with me, I just turned 17, he told me, Cameron, I'd really like you to do what I'm doing with you for someone else. So I'm thinking in my mind, I'm 17, there's no way I can do something like that. I'm immature, I don't know the Bible enough, I can't do that. But he challenged me to, and I decided to do that. So I went to a kid named Roberto that I knew pretty well. And Roberto told me, no, I'm not going to do that with you. So I get rejected. I walk back to Arturo just destroyed. I'm this young guy. I didn't think I could do it. And he said, no, it's it's done. But he encouraged me to go to someone else. So I went to another guy, Alejandro, whose two older brothers had dropped out of the church. They didn't really care about the church. But I started meeting with him. And I can guarantee you that what I taught him, he probably doesn't remember a single thing. But I was able to invest in him and bring him into a group of guys that meant something to him. And he continued on in the church. So getting back to the question, who are we strengthening? And we may not think that we're ready for that, but today we're going to go into our journey, Paul's second missionary journey, and see how he strengthened the different churches and how his life was all about strengthening others. Um, So if you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 18, we're going to be looking at verse 18. And then if I could get the PowerPoint up here, I'm going to quick give you guys a fast review of what's been going on in Paul's missionary journey, what we've been going through this whole series. So here we have a map of Paul's second missionary journey. We started out with Pastor Jim telling us that Paul started on his second missionary journey after he finished his first, and he wanted specifically to visit the churches he had planted from his first missionary journey. So he wanted to go with the man who he went with on his first journey, Barnabas, but they kind of had a falling out. And so Barnabas went to this island of Cyprus and visited the church they had planted And Paul went up this way and visited the churches they had planted on his first missionary journey. But after they did that, Paul decided, you know what, I want to go further. I want to plant more churches. So he was going to go up here into Asia, but the Holy Spirit led him not to, told him not to. I don't want you to go there. So eventually Paul gets led and he goes into Europe. And we saw how he went through all these different churches in Europe. And a kind of a theme happened. He'd go in, some people would believe And then something bad would happen and he'd get kicked out, thrown in jail, beat up, or something awful would happen and then he'd move on to a new city in planting. And last week we ended with Corinth, where he was over here at Corinth, where Pastor Gary talked about it and he really showed us all the different things and ways that Paul had suffered. And now we're going to pick up in Acts chapter 18, verse 18, where he is leaving Corinth. Verse 18 says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Cancheria. I don't know how to pronounce that, because of a vow he had taken. So he decides that it's time to end his journey. He's going to head on home. He does a vow, and then he's going to head over here to Ephesus. 
Next verse, verse 19. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with him, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. So Paul gets to Ephesus, and his, whatever, for whatever reason, the boat had to stop there. Paul went into the synagogue. He wasn't going to waste his time. He had a mission. So he goes to the synagogue to tell different people about Jesus Christ, that he died for their sins. And then he can't spend much time there, but I think that he specifically leaves Priscilla and Aquila here because Paul doesn't just want people to believe that Jesus Christ died for them and that he rose again and to become a believer, but he wants them to actually have a walk. He wants them to actually go from being just someone who sits on a bench to someone who lives for Jesus Christ so that they can train them. And if you read on in chapter 18, which we're not going to look on, Priscilla and Aquila do invest and do lead somebody and help them understand better what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So he's left Ephesus. He's heading down to Jerusalem. Verse 21. I mean 22. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So here we have Paul gets back. He finishes up his his journey. Paul started his first two journeys in Antioch. This Antioch right there, not the one up here, which you get confused with. But he starts both his journeys there. And so we see he ends his two journeys. Paul has been on two journeys. It would kind of be maybe like two tours to Iraq. He's done two tours. And he's suffered incredibly on both of these tours. He's been beat up. And we're going to see a little later on how bad it really got. But he is ready here to go on a third one, which really shows Paul's heart and two reasons for Paul to keep going and to keep moving on. And I want to show this picture here. I can picture Paul being somebody like this. But Paul has been beat up, he's suffered, but he's saying, I'm feeling great, even though I'm 42. He wasn't really 42. Did you guys know Pastor Jim is only 38 years old? <laughs> I hope not. I don't, I don't want to be bald that fast. But, but I'm adding there. <laughs> please, please pass my internship, Pastor Jim. But, but Paul has been through a lot, but he's still feeling great because Paul knows two things. He has two reasons for continuing on. The first is Paul knows that he, that Jesus Christ grabbed hold of him when he didn't deserve it. Paul was somebody who persecuted the church. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus Christ. But he went to a level where he wanted to throw everyone who believed in Jesus Christ in jail or kill them. And some people were killed and he was giving them the thumbs up. Good job. Kill these Christians. And then Paul all of a sudden realizes that Jesus Christ is actually the only way to heaven. He, he realizes the truth, and all of a sudden he is, I don't deserve to be forgiven. I don't deserve to go to heaven, but I want to let everyone else know this. That's the first reason. And the second reason was, is Paul had a desire to strengthen the believers. He had a desire to strengthen the people who came to believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Verse 23 again. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia in Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So Paul goes over to this area right here. He's already been there twice. There are already believers that he's visited before, and he wants to visit them again so that he can strengthen them. And this whole idea of strengthening is building them up. 
helping them move from one place to another. And so that's what Paul wants to do. And I want to tease this out a little more. If you'll turn with me to Acts chapter 14, we're going to be looking at verse 21 and 22. And seeing how strong of a desire Paul had to strengthen believers and to see them go from one place to another place. You're never at a perfect spot. You can always be improving, always be growing. Uh, Acts chapter 14 verse 21 says, They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And what really makes those two verses remarkable are the two verses before it. So I want to read now uh, Acts chapter 14, verse 19. Verse 19 says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day he and Barnabas left for Derby. And I'm going to read verse 21 and 22 again. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch. So Paul here gets stoned for preaching in a city. And he gets stoned because those from Iconium and Antioch came down to persuade people to stone him. And right over in these next verses, Paul is going right back to those two cities because he knows if they're coming all the way to this city to stone me, the believers in the city of Iconium and Antioch are going to be getting it way worse. If they're willing to go somewhere else and beat someone up, imagine what they'll do with the people in their own city. And instead of Paul, in my mind, I would say, well, you know what? I just got stoned by this city. I am never going back there again. That's the city you never want to go back to. It's like driving through, I forget the state, I think it might have been Iowa, it's just a desert. I never want to go back to that state. Why would Paul want to go back? But Paul's reason for going back is because in the next verse it says he wants to strengthen the believers because he knows hardship is coming. I am a, I am a Packer fan all the way. I love the Packers. But I can say if somebody were to say, you can either love the Packers and I'm going to stone you, or you don't love the Packers and I'm not going to stone you, I, think I, I don't think football is going to take me to a point where I'm going to let somebody stone me for it. I'm not that crazy of a fan. And maybe some of you guys are like, oh... Twelfth man, I'll take a stoning for the Seahawks, but that, you guys might be a little more crazy than I am, but I'm not going to get stoned for the Packers. But Paul had found something worth being stoned for and worth going back to the same people who had stoned him. And maybe you guys are doing something currently right now where you're strengthening someone and you know it's hard. Maybe you're serving with fifth and sixth graders and the first year those kids were demons, the second year they were demons, and now you're like, I'm done. But Paul is someone who says, I'm going to keep going because it's good for them. It may not be good for me, but it's good for them. It's going to strengthen them. It may not even strengthen me. We are all called to strengthen each other. If you'll turn with me now to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We're going to look at a few more verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We'll be looking at verse 1, but uh, before we start reading, in these verses, right up before chapter 3, Paul, in those verses, is saying how much he wants to visit the church of Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonians. He is dying to visit them, but for some reason, 
he is unable to get there. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. So Paul's in Athens, which is over here. It's not too far away from Thessalonica over here. He's not that far away, but he can't get there. So he's, he's, he's decided, I can't get there, but I'm going to do something else. Verse 2. We sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. And Timothy is the guy where we get the verse, do not let anyone look down on you because you are young. Timothy is a young guy. He's not someone that maybe knows all of his stuff. But he's young, but he still can strengthen and help out these believers. So Paul sends them to the church of Thessalonica. and We're going to see why he sends them. Verse 3. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials... For you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. So he wants Timothy to go because he knows, you know what, I'm being persecuted, I know you're going to be persecuted, and I'm nervous for you. I want to strengthen you guys because you might not know how hard it's going to be if you follow Jesus Christ. And if we truly follow Jesus Christ, our lives aren't going to be easier. We may have a purpose, we may have a reason for living, but our lives shouldn't be easy. It shouldn't be the easy way out if we're truly following Jesus Christ. Verse 5, For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So Paul's so worried about a church that might have fallen, that something might have gone wrong. He cares deeply for this church. And as we continue to read on, we're going to see more of that. Verse 6. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. And here we see that they find out, Paul finds out that this church is doing well. And that encourages him. And we're meant to encourage, we're meant to, to strengthen each other by following Jesus Christ, by following his word. The next verse, verse 8. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you? in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our, of our God because of you. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. And here we see Paul overjoyed because the church is doing well, because the believers of Thessalonica are doing well, and that's why he sends them this letter. He is so overjoyed. He is so strengthened by the fact that they are that they've decided to follow Jesus Christ no matter what's going to go on, no matter how much persecution comes their way. And in verse 10, it says that he's praying night and day. And one thing that you commonly see in Paul's letters, in Paul's life, is how much he relies on prayer and the strength of prayer. Prayer is so important. And then at the end there, it says, supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul knows that even though this church is doing great, they're doing what's right, they can still grow more. They still need to grow more. And so he's praying, he's hoping for an opportunity where he can go and he can help them out in any way he can and that is possible. So again, I ask you, how are you strengthening others? 
How are you strengthening yourself? How are you strengthening the church? In Grand Rapids, Michigan, I say we kind of have a pretty big problem there. We're a Bible belt line. That's not a problem. There's tons of churches. But people normally tend to become church hoppers. So in one area, there's six churches, which are maybe you could walk to each one in two minutes. They're all right there together. But people get in this mindset where they go to church and church needs to be about them. They walk in and they're like, well, that worship didn't really mean much to me. That sermon didn't really mean much to me. Uh, If they can't get what they want, then they go to a new church. And a lot of times what they do is they go in and as soon as it goes wrong, as soon as something happens, some incident happens that wasn't good for them, they try to cause a huge problem in the church and then they just hop to the next one. And that can be a big problem because the mindset is, how is the church going to strengthen me instead of their mindset being, how can I come into this church, how can I serve, and how can I help this church do better? You know what this church may be lacking in this area? Well, how can I make it better? Instead of going to the person and saying, well, this is, it's lacking here, make it better. No, it's, it's looking for a way for you to strengthen the church instead of just always thinking the church has to strengthen you. And that's the problem that we have in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I come from. At least one of the problems that I've seen. The other one is a lot of people take church as a ritual. They'll go once a week to church and go home. They don't look to strengthen. They don't look to invest in their church. It's just a ritual. I'll go once a week, did my church time, good to go. They don't look to strengthen the church in any other way. So my challenge to myself and to you is, if maybe if you're a teenager, you can start to serve in Awana, start to serve in youth group, Sunday school. Look for a way to strengthen your classmates. If you're an adult or a parent, there's a need on Wednesday nights. Maybe you can start to serve and even show kids, you know what, that marriage... Marriages that last actually still exist and serve together there. Another thing, the Masons, every Wednesday night, they do this meal where they invite over high school and college students to come and eat at their house. They prepare the meal, and we just hang out, and we have a great time. And that's something that's awesome. That's strengthening. They open up their house so that kids who maybe aren't believers can see, you know what, this is a marriage that lasts. This is a marriage that matters, and this is a family that loves me. When most other families don't invite people in. Prayer is a huge thing. I know in this church there are a lot of prayer warriors, but what if we were all prayer warriors? What if we all did more like Paul and prayed all the time? And instead of pray for ourselves, pray for others. What if we started visiting old people in nursing homes? I went with Pastor Jim to a few old homes, and the minute we walk in, as soon as those people see him, they're like, Oh, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. And they're so happy and they're so overjoyed. Or the Brontons. The Brontons open up their homes to the high schoolers. And yeah, we wreck a few flowers. We do a few dumb things. But they're willing to open up their house so that ministry can continue on. You might need to start by asking somebody to help you because you need to learn more. You may need somebody else to strengthen you. So you may need to go to someone and ask them, you know what? I really don't know that much, so can you help me out? Maybe you could start by reading the Bible every day. And then the one I like most, if you're a grandparent, I'd love to see this. I'd love for us all to put on our grandpa pants. Or, well, not our grandpa pants, our grandparent pants. Because grandparents have really an easy job when it comes to their grandchildren. They get to spoil them. They get to feed them whatever they want. They get to really do whatever they want with their kid. But their specific reason is, I'm going to love this kid, I'm going to spoil this kid, and I'm going to help this kid in any way I want. But I'm not going to just be this enforcer. It's not my job to make all the rules. I'm there to love on this kid. And what if 
we all took that mindset and did that for the younger kids. If us older generation, the older generation here decided to grab the younger generation, which is the future of this church, and be like, you know what, I'm going to mentor you, I'm going to disciple you, I'm going to help you to come in and maybe do my job in Iwana that I'm doing now. To, to, to help them to move from one place. When I went to college, I went in, had a new roommate, new place, and a man named Dr. Sam Benton took me underneath his wing, along with Adam Renberg and two other guys. And every other week, he would take us out to a Mexican restaurant. It was the best food ever. And I loved it. But we got to such a close connection with Dr. Sam where he would crack some of the jokes that I would never think an old person would even, would even say. It was hilarious. And then one time, the way I could give back, I would help him out in any way he needs, shovel, shovel the snow away. And one time he asked me to go to his house to move some stuff. So I, I drive to his house, I go in the house, and I walk in, and I saw one of the most surprising things ever. Because if you know Dr. Sam Bitten, Dr. Sam Bitten wears suits. He wears suits when he swims, when he eats, when he wakes up, when he sleeps. And I walked in, and he was wearing shorts. He was wearing shorts. I had bragging rights over seeing Dr. Sam in shorts at the college. It was incredible. Another time, he took us out in Lindo, Mexico. Our Mexican restaurant was being remodeled. So we're like, well, there went our good lunch. So Dr. Sam's like, well, let's go to Taco Bell. That's Mexican. So we drive down the street, and for some reason, this week was like, Mexican remodel week, because Taco Bell was being remodeled as well, but their drive-thru was open. Praise the Lord. They kept us college kids alive. So we go through the drive-thru. We're heading back to the college, and we're like, well, let's go to the lobby where we can eat. So, and Dr. Sun's like, no, that's not personal enough. We can't really talk. The connection between us won't be enough, so let's go to your apartment. And when he said our apartment, Adam and I looked at each other like, We're, we're college kids, and we had two other roommates. We know it's a mess in there. So we go to our apartment, open up the door. The kitchen is right in front of us. It's a mess. The floor right there is a mess. And then I look up and I find my uh, roommate, Scott Spooner, on the couch in his boxers, wrapped up in a blanket with a big bag of chips, watching a TV, hadn't showered. He looked terrible. And he looks at us. He doesn't, he doesn't wake up well either. He looks at us annoyed that we're, that we're back. And then he sees Dr. Sam come in. And his face went from annoyed to like, I am going to murder you. Because, I mean, he's only in his boxers eating chips. He looked terrible. And Dr. Sam just laughed at him. He, he still brings it up. But we had our, our Taco Bell meal there with Dr. Sam, an, an older man. I don't know how old he is. Some people say 140, but I'm, I'm not sure. But he decided to invest in us. And that's a man that means so much to me. And if he's ever in a nursing home, I'm going to be visiting that nursing home. So if you invest in us younger people it's eventually going to come back to you too. It's going to help you as well. And, and all, maybe all you have to do is take us to Taco Bell McDonald's. I'd be happy with that. That's cheap, not that much money. But invest in us. Do something. My grandma always sends out letters every, every week to different people. She sends them out just encouraging different people, and that's always so encouraging to me. You can mentor a younger person. And how are you strengthening yourself? You may need to start with yourself to actually start reading the Bible more often. And what I love most about preaching is that I get to learn a lot in the entire week. And when I actually tell you guys the way I want to apply it, I feel accountable to you guys. So this does incredible things to me. This makes me really want to walk the talk that I've had here. What would happen if each... 
each and every one of us here today decided to do one of these. I can guarantee that each one of us here probably thought, oh, I'm already doing that one. I already got that one checked off. I'm good. I'm already strengthening someone. But what if we decided to, to do one of these things that I mentioned or something else that we're not currently doing to strengthen this church and to help this church move and progress and do better? What if we decided to do that? A few weeks ago, Solomon challenged the high school group to serve in Awana on Wednesdays. And, and I challenge you to do something similar, to strengthen someone else. Find a place where you can strengthen someone else in whatever way you seem fit and to look to strengthen others instead of yourself because we always focus on ourselves. I still constantly hear about Glenn Johnstone and the impact that he had just volunteering, just greeting people in front. What, you could start there. Who are you strengthening in your lives? Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for this opportunity to come here, to open your word and to learn more and more about you, God. And I pray that we'll leave today and we'll really look for a way to strengthen others instead of always looking to strengthen ourselves. That we'll put others before us. That like Paul, our lives will be about strengthening and serving others. Like Jesus Christ, our life will be about strengthening and serving others instead of ourselves. And I thank you so much for everything you've taught us and for everything you've shown us. In your dear heavenly name, amen. Second Timothy chapter 4. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You may be dismissed.